Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 93rd episode of Career Podcast. Today, I'm joining Mr. Stefan Duk-Wesnoy. He's a lecturer at HKU University of the Arts at City of Utrecht in Germany and visual artist and art director focusing on dark aesthetics and procedural design. And we're, and we're on call with him from Hog, Netherlands. Now, with that introduction out of the way, I mean, by the way, I'm sorry, is actually Utrecht in Germany? No, it's in the Netherlands as well. Yeah, it's, but, it's, but the yeah, name sounds the German country. as well, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's no, a Dutch city. Yeah, all right, awesome, good to know. All right, so the first question is, give us a little introduction on how we got into visual arts and design. Uh, yeah, so, so that's a really... Um, kind of weird story. I used to study information technology. Uh, I got, also got a degree in it when I was a uh, teenager. Um, and I discovered Dragon Ball C while I was uh, studying that. Uh, and I found and I found this one tutorial online, and that's also about how to draw Goku. So I basically just drew Goku for a year long and only drew him and only followed the tutorial. And I was terrible at it. Um, and at some point I posted it on, I think it was conceptart.org. Um, and I, my work got completely burned down. Like it's the most terrible thing ever. Uh, but some people, they suggested me to start reading some proper books about art. Uh, and I did, and, uh, I started practicing and practicing and things kind of slowly went from there. So very unhealthy Dragon Ball Z obsession to, to making uh, original art. Awesome. I've actually never, like, that's actually the first time that someone got into art, you know, in that method, like, like, like obsessively just doing something repeatedly and just practice, you know, around that. That's actually, like, you know, maybe indirectly an, a genius way to get into art, you know? Like, maybe take something you like and just repeatedly try draw that and you yeah. learn different techniques as you go along to try this, draw the same thing but better, you know? Yeah, it's, I have terrible ADHD, so that kind of plays a part in being awesome. able to constantly <laughs> and repeat, repeat it. Um, but yeah, also when I started, I had like no talent. Uh, my mother actually got upset with me that I wanted to do art um, because I had no talent at all. Uh, so that was like a whole conflict uh, 15 years ago. Um, yeah, it, it, it's weird how that goes. Uh, and I, th- I think that it's one of the core things that I, I had to learn about art that you're so intimidated when you're starting by young people that are really good and that have like all the talent. Um, but then during the way you kind of discover it's like 90% of it is hard work and repeating and practice and repeating. Uh, and then that you at some point surpass talent. Uh, well, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, sometimes, sure, I mean, talent exists and it's really, you know, nice and good. You know, some people have it, you know, in different stuff. But I mean, talent for me is basically like the best way I could, you know, describe it to people. Like, have you played World of Warcraft? I mean, you probably did. Yeah, I mean, we all did. Yeah. (laughs) Like, you know, some, like, you know, for example, orcs are could potentially be more or more talented warriors. You know, they start with, I think, a sort of buff or something. If I remember correctly yeah and like you know yes i mean talented will just start a bit you know higher than your average person but it's not possible for you someone who's zero to you know even surpass that like it's just being stubborn and grind at you know practicing you know, the thing you love and you know you get there yeah and i mean you kind of explain to us your whole story of you know how you got into art but i mean before like you know when you um, we're studying like information design, IT as info, 
information technology. Oh, sorry, information technology. Yeah. Jesus, my brain. <laughs> <laughs> We're studying that, um, but before that, what was the plan? Like, did you know that even during that, did, that you wanted to become an artist, or the plan was different? Like, how is uh, that? No, not at all. It's, it's actually because I was doing uh, my IT studies, uh, and I was like fully focused on becoming a, a software engineer and, uh, and and walking that path in life. And then I did my internship at a, a at a multinational or an international company. Uh, as a software inter- engineer intern, and it was such a terrible experience um, in just being in an office, being surrounded in that kind of office mentality of, of getting work done in certain time frames, or basically just people living there just to live or to survive, basically. Um, it completely drained me in half a year, and I felt like I need to do something different with my life, and I started picking up drawing. Uh, and yeah, I think that was really like the trigger moment was not wanting to be in that kind of office job position. Uh, and yeah, the, I started drawing. I uh, started applying to uh, to the art academy, got rejected, applied again, got accepted. And yeah, then it became a little bit more of kind of an official career direction, I suppose. All right, awesome. And just wondering, what was your main, uh, like, you know, character sets like in World of Warcraft when you used to play it? My main, uh, it was a, it was a dwarf hunter. Oh, dwarf hunter. Oh yes, dwarfs, gnomes couldn't be hunters, but dwarfs could. Yeah, no. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just they can buy. Well, they can buy now, I think. But I haven't played the new expansions yet. Yeah, I mean, I, it's been so long that I played it, but I I don't hear really really good news about the development of the game. It's kind of going downhill pretty bad. Yeah, it's kind of sad, but it's yeah. definitely in the Hall of Fame of video games, in my opinion. Or the yeah, Warcraft. for me as well. It's, I, I think I've like a, a year of played, probably, um, and yeah. By a year of played, you mean a total of like you know I'm hours over of three thousand hours? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> nice yeah i mean it's i mean it's kind of weird like you know because games like that or you know platforms like steam tell us how much we play a game and it's kind of intimidating for us you know when when mm. you realize oh my god i played for example four thousand yeah. hours of dota 2 i did and i regret it <laughs> yeah it, 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 uh, i think for me the world of warcraft experience is such a mixed experience because yeah. it's on one hand um, I also started doing fan art for World of Warcraft, and that kind of got me into um, the first moment where you, you're doing art of someone's character, and they appreciate it, and you start feeling that kind of feedback from a community that likes your work and which encourages you to go on. So that was like one side of me for my World of Warcraft experience was getting to uh, getting to experience that. On the other hand, it's also especially when you do the slash plate, it's so much hours that you're looking at like what you could have done in that time. Like they say, it takes 10,000 hours to master something. I basically took one third of that time and spent it on playing a video game. Yeah, I mean, exactly. By the way, there's nothing like with playing video games for like, you know, that amount of time. I mean, because if we didn't do that, we'd probably do something else. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, but to be fair, we, we could, you know, I mean, we realize this stuff when we grow up, actually, you know, we're like, oh, you know, I, I wish, for example, instead of all that time I spent, like, you know, practicing fundamentals of art or, you know, like playing chess because I actually something that I recently started, like, in a year. And I wish I started when I was young. And, you know, you, you realize this stuff when you grow up. And actually, I was, I'm, I've been thinking about it when someone, like, 
feels bad that they're like, oh, I wish I went back in time so I could fix this stuff. That means that you learned from your past successfully. Yeah. Because if you never get to that feeling of what you did wrong and what you should you do, you didn't learn anything and you're just carrying the same mistakes. Yeah, exactly. And it's uh, you can't avoid uh, making mistakes. Because if you you don't make the mistakes, you're not going to grow because of them. So it's like two sides of the same coin. Yeah, exactly. And well, I mean, in the introduction, I already mentioned that you're a visual artist and art director right now. But the next question is, what is your main branch of design that you're focusing on right now? And what is your experience? What is, what is and tell us about your experience from the start of it until now? Yeah. Um, so. I'm mostly focused right now on, on dark surrealism. So it's more like um, kind of like realistic renderings, uh, mostly 3D with um, weird stuff going on that tends to be very orientated on uh, ornament design and uh, uh, things that are beautiful in nature uh, and then based on the math and the formula underneath it all. So I'm working a lot with golden, uh, golden circles, lots with spirals, um, Lots of procedural programming. So like half of my work is done, or even less than half of my work is done by hand. So I tend to only sculpt the woman and uh, and really put the handwork in there. And most of my work is done by uh, programming and uh, uh, and math, basically. Um, and I really like that combination of finding uh, that mixture of natural beauty and, and, uh, and the craftsmanship behind it, but mixing that with all the modern technology and power you can put underneath it with programming and uh, repeating systems and uh, yeah all the fun digital stuff all right and how does your design process usually go anytime you want to start working on a design project or project in general um i tend to not have a very solid idea um I'm a person, I have struggled with depression for like years. Uh, for the last five, seven years, it's been quite severe. And it's something that I've learned to to deal with in a better way. Um, and for me, my work is kind of at the moment, my process is I'm trying to make things that feel uh, right to me. And it tends to be more of a coping mechanism and, and just letting emotions out or letting feelings out and, and seeing what happens. Um, that process tends to start with sometimes sketches, sometimes I just start doing random stuff. Uh, I always start from chaos and just combining things. Uh, and then at some point, the work is like speaking to you, like this is the direction the work wants to go. And then I just follow along in that. Um, and basically at that point, it, be, it becomes a very typical 3D pipeline kind of work, like setting up the models, uh, doing the unwrapping, doing the texturing, um, finding the right references for the right details, and then slowly bringing it towards an end with compositing. Um, and my final step is always trying to figure out what it actually is that I made and, and what it says or what it means. All right, that's actually a pretty interesting answer. I've never kind of gotten quite like one which is, kind of, which is kind of like intuitive, like, you know, the whole process rather than logical, Yeah, which is, which is fascinating yeah. to me. Yeah, it's, it's a very weird process for me as well because I'm as a person, uh, I'm incredibly 
logical and reasonable in everything that I do. So I'm very mm-hmm. planned out, very much always looking for how does things work together. Uh, it's also what I teach at school is I teach design process and then how to start from having no idea and setting up your thumbnails, setting up your references and then having a really structured process. And for my own work, I completely ignore everything <laughs> that I teach and just do what feels right. Um, Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, but I think it's also because I've had like years of doing it in the, the typical structured concept art way um, that it's somewhere got ingrained or became an instinct um, and that I now have to rely less on doing it consciously. Yeah, that actually makes a lot more sense because for, you know, as you said, yeah, I think it's because you've done it for so many time, so many years, and you know, a long time that you know you're you just do it subconsciously on autopilot mode, basically, which is yeah. still you know really interesting. And um, there's a couple of things I want to talk about right now. We're in the general art chat section of the podcast, which is first for anyone who's listening. I want to say that you know the way I actually um, found Mister. Do- I'm <laughs> sorry, I'm not. Yeah, I'm it's gonna okay. miss your last name. I'm sorry, Mr. Stefan's <laughs> work <laughs> was uh, through a feature. He was featured. His work was featured on the Instagram page of Maker's Place, which Maker's Place is basically one of the big platforms out there that is available that provides a service for you know a market for NFT exchange, you know, and buying and selling and all that. And now, the thing I want to ask you is, how did you got familiar with the world of NFTs? Oh, that's a, that's a good one. Um, I got an Instagram ad from Super Rare in last October. Um, and I decided to apply. Uh, I got rejected. Uh, and then I found Maker's Place. And uh, I started posting. It was, at the beginning for me, it was like, um, I'm kind of like doing my own thing with art, but I have no way to make money of it. So it really was like a hobby uh, next to my usual uh, teaching job. And I had my job that could provide for me. So in the free time that I had, let's make fun original work that i love um and then um i found super rare and i I saw that one of my art heroes was on there uh andrew jones Uh, i absolutely love him i've been a fan of him for like i think 18 years now since i was 20. um and he was selling his work there and i thought well if he can sell his original work maybe so can i and that's how i started rolling into it um and by investing or investing more time in it and discovering more what NFT is also kind of discovering that what it could do for an artist beyond just being a way to sell, but also the entire community behind it. Uh, and also the kind of liberty it can give you as a digital artist in being an independent artist. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean, it's uh, it's a pretty big, you know, topic, but because it's both polarizing for a lot of people and controversial and at the same time there's like if you just look at the other side of you know the brightness and the huge amount of opportunities it brings to the whole table not just for artists you know for um like there's people the only the people just seen a glimpse of you know what we could do with the whole nft technology we just seen you know you just sell art you just sell jpegs you just sell vr models or 3d models or stuff like that but it's more than that i mean the, all right, let, just let me give you an example, and also to anyone who's listening. I mean, of course, you probably already know, so you don't need any <laughs> education on this. But uh, have you played the game Elder Elder Scrolls Oblivion? Uh, yeah, a long awesome. time. 
Awesome. So in the beginning scenario and basically beginning sequence of the game, you know, the king rushes into the prison cell and says, take this amulet and take it to some other guy, Jeffrey or something. It was named. I don't remember. <laughs> that amulet is something unique. And at the time of the, you know, the setting of the game, no one else has something like it. And it's uh, like it's such a unique jewel and gems that were used for it that it's even hard to replicate. So it's kind of like he gave him a token, a unique token that can be replicated. And it was his proof of authentication to the guy he told him to visit. That's, that's actually a really good example, analogy to use for people to explain what the NFTs mean. Yeah. And basically, yeah. because of that, you can even sell, for example, virtual you know, items or characters or places, for example, in a mobile or online game in a studio is developing, you know, and the holder of that NFT could, you know, have literal the proof of you know ownership of that place virtual stuff i mean board is going virtual and is just directing toward virtual in every single aspect i mean online um people may might not understand it right now but wait at least a 10 20 years and you'll see what i mean <laughs> yeah and i i think nft is it's it's such a complicated um philosophy or philosophical i can't pronounce it but i think you know where i'm going with it mm-hmm. the, the philosophy behind nft i think is still hard for the mass market to understand because the product that you're tying to it in this case digital art it's it is so um can be so easily duplicated like anyone can take my image right click on it and save it on their computer and it's there but at the same time if you look at our society and you look at our uh, uh, uh uh, legal system and what it's defined by like 90% of our laws that we have are about property and owning and having proof of ownership for something um, and to have something right now that basically validates your ownership of, of art that you've made and, and and guarantees a certain uniqueness to it is an incredible valuable thing in, in a digital world that's only going to be more digital with more access and more unique properties in it Yeah, exactly. And um, like the, the like the example I made about like uh, the all right. Let me just explain it again. Sorry, because I'm mumbling at this point. <laughs> Imagine a video game studio is making a huge game like it, like the next World of Warcraft. All right. Actually, now that I think about it, Riot Game is making a new new rival game to World of Warcraft, which is going to get released in 2025-26. Which I'm actually super pumped about it because it's going to be based. Um, based upon and you know located in the world of Runeterra which is the world of League of Legends and all that good stuff and um, there's so much opportunities now for example here's what Wright can do he can you know sell different locations or temples in that world that everyone visits as NFTs to anyone who can buy and anyone who owns that NFT that token that proof of ownership can you know be the owner of that place and you know have a special extra stuff you know basically yeah. right stuff and in, like i'm i'm saying so much basic things right now but there's so much you know cool potential things you can do with this you know i just named some very basic stuff right now but you know from that on just try to think of other opportunities i mean you get you get my point yeah and um actually the, the next question is something that i don't ask any everyone i usually ask it to people who are like a more surreal abstract kind of artist you know and the question is have you ever used your dreams as inspirations for your works um my dreams are quite boring 
actually. Um, so, no. Um, no, my dreams tend to be about very typical real-life circumstances and scenarios. Um, yeah, it's, uh, for me, I, I think it's actually because I'm quite boring. That I'm really <laughs> working to find interesting things to show and to grow in. Um, my mi- biggest inspiration is probably my Pinterest board that I've been building up mm-hmm. over the last seven years. And, and that has been growing and, uh, and evolving. So when I'm out of inspiration, I just scroll through there and then I find interesting mixes and, and things. Awesome. And um, I think here's the thing, like, you know, um, you said you're boring, but I mean, I, I like, I'm not saying this, you know, compliment or anything, but I think the thing you're trying to say is that you're not a very active hyper like you know loud person i think no it's uh i tend to be like for for all the energy and and stuff that's in my work and and all the emotion that i try to put in there as a person myself and uh, and 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 how i decorate my space around me or how i project myself into the world around me it's very um counter uh intuitive to the work that i create so I'm like really laid back, very simple clothes. Um, I tend to not have a lot of stuff. I live very minimalistic. Um, yeah. Yeah, we're the same then. I mean, I'm, I I don't, I actually, my parents been begging me to buy a fridge for the last year and a half. And I'm like, no, I'm happy this way. Like, I mean, the only thing that i kind of mad that I have is a washing machine because I actually need it because I work out every day and I need to, you know, wash them every day. But yeah, even if I could, you know, do the thing with just, you know, simple washing rack from like, you know, 100 years ago where how people used to wash clothes in the river. Like, yeah, I mean, I kind of understand your point of view, but because, I mean, there is the thing that I'm thinking about is because you said your dreams are also not that surreal and stuff like that. And I've been thinking about this subject, like, you know, for a while now, and you know, that how, what determines, you know, someone has wild dreams or not. And I think usually it's, how engaged the brain could be like how much engagement does it need for example i personally have a hard time sleeping at night so i have to role play in my head that i'm somewhere and i'm just hiding from enemies and i'm just have curling up somewhere and it just makes me fall asleep better like stuff like that sometimes we need that push to give our brain that kind of imagination i don't know if you're like that as well it's it's, i think my personal theory is that i'm probably so active in my mind the entire day when I'm working and doing my things that my brain is just too exhausted at night to um, to get dreams out because I go to bed and I like sleep immediately and I'm dead pretty much so I'm instant, uh, instantly asleep um, but also always extremely exhausted by the end of the day and mm-hmm. I think it's probably kind of related to the ADHD part as well being incredibly active in, in how you think and all the chaos that comes with it um, mm. ADHD or HDHD is that something different? Uh, ADHD, right? Oh yeah, I thought you said HDHD. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> and all right, so let's move on to the next question, which is something that most artists are kind of afraid of. Don't worry, it's nothing personal or oh, no. inappropriate. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Who are your favorite artists and designers that have inspired you the oh, most? Damn. Because it, it changes like constantly. Um, I'm a big fan of the pre-Raphaelite era uh, of, of art. So then you're looking at um, a good moment to lose all of their names immediately. Uh, you're looking at artists like Waterhouse, um, 
nice. <laughs> so I'm a big fan of the area, and it's like this period in uh, in in late England. Uh, I think late 1800s, where they're like kind of taking inspiration from the antique age of art, and then they're trying to modernize it with modern uh, clothing and with modern kind of aesthetics and trying to create their own thing of it and they have this really interesting approach to art like what your art should be like what it should do for others what it shouldn't do and um, a whole set of principles that i always kind of like try to keep uh, uh, using in my work as well and things like it, it has to have an it, has, it needs to have a certain beauty that engages someone in thinking in a certain way it needs to be uh, made with respect and craftsmanship and attention to what you're doing uh, and stuff like that and that tends to be like my main inspiration uh, um, when I'm looking at more contemporary um, I find uh, Rothko really interesting he's a bit of a weird artist for most of the digital arts because he's from that abstract era which is just like his work for everyone who doesn't know it's like big squares of paint so it's like blue next to red and it's orange next to yellow and stuff like that or big black canvas the kind of art that makes you say well everyone can do that i can do that why is no one paying me a few million to do it um but the thing that i've had with his work is especially when i got more into the uh, mathematical side of art is that i started seeing the the proportions in his work are really beautiful and how he balances the colors and the swatches and stuff. And that really became for me an inspiration to not only focus on like the superficialness of art, like what it is that you're figuratively looking at, but also at what is the design underneath it and uh, and everything that's going on at a pure emotional base level. Um, and this is something that came quite late in my career, I think like five years ago, that I really started looking at abstract artists, what they wanted to convey, why they did the work they did. Um, when it comes to contemporary, um, Andrew Jones, I'm a big fan of. Um, he does this weird shamanistic um, uh, mutating art stuff. It's hard to explain. He used to direct Metroid Prime as an art director early in his career, and then he started doing weird visual performances and it is absolutely love his work where it's going um i really admire raf Grassetti as a, a as a sculptor and as a, an absolute master in the work that he does um when it comes to nft and, and i'm exploring lots of new artists in in nft that a lot of people aren't that aware of yet then there's people like uh, dexamol he makes this 3d insect kind of creatures um, that are half mechanical, half biological, with beautiful renders. Um, Hannes Hummel uh, is an amazing artist. He makes uh, botanical uh, dioramas, basically. Uh, and Christian Levin, he's a guy that does things with cloth. And I think what's really interesting about all of these three artists, they're all kind of unknown. Uh, I think collectively, if you put them together, they have like 10,000 followers on social media in total. But there are all kinds of these artists that um, were uh, in studios and were working behind the scenes for their entire career. Then they discovered NFT and they all got on the train of, I can do something I want and uh, it can be unique because I'm the one doing it. Uh, and they're all creating amazing work because of that freedom that they're suddenly experiencing. Yeah, actually, um before the whole NFT boom and stuff like that, Christian Levin came on the podcast on episode 16. Oh, nice. Yeah. 
and yeah. yeah yeah it was during the time when the podcast wasn't video based it was just audio like i was at my infancy stage of the podcast mm. now we're at episode 93 so time time flies yeah and um now speaking we have already i think talked a little bit about your work but we want to get a little bit more in depth now the question is what is the main subject of your artworks and what made them interesting to you um, the, the main subject is it's always grounded somewhere in depression, um, which sounds a lot more negative and depressive than it should be. And that's also kind of what I want to show in my work. Um, for me, depression is something that I have to live with daily. And for me to do that, I need to be able to see it not as, an, uh, as something that's burdening me or something that's wrecking me down, but it's something that's a part of me that also creates in a way who I am and how I see the world. So there's a lot of acceptance going on. And what I want to uh, kind of show in the work that I make is that from working from a very dark perspective, you can create life and, and things from that as well. It, uh, it doesn't have to be skulls. It doesn't have to be death. It doesn't have to be that slippery slope downwards always, but that you can also work with depression in a way that it feeds and that it grows and that it uh, can create something beautiful. Um, I think that's a very big core theme that is in most of my work. And that's why I tend to work with flowers, for example. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good uh, thing to add. And, uh, well, let's get in a little bit more technical with the questions. What technologies and softwares do you mostly use for your works? Um, that's a whole bunch of them. Uh, Houdini uh, is my main tool, uh, side effects Houdini. Um, it's a, a procedural digital tool for everyone who doesn't know. It's it's like a 3D, uh, uh, 3D tool on steroids, basically. It's incredibly hard to get into, uh, but once you get into it, there is nothing that stops you from doing whatever you want. Um, I use Substance. Uh, a lot substance designer and substance painter are a major part of my uh, workflow. Uh, ZBrush is a major part of my workflow and Adobe Photoshop. Uh, on the side, I sometimes play with Marvelous Designer as well. Octane Render, of Octane. All right. Yeah. All right. So. Um, what are you working on right now that you can tell us about? What kind of project are you, is it? I mean, if it's something freelancing, you can talk about, sure, um, do tell no, us now. It's, it's a personal project. Uh, uh-huh. It's called Dahlia. So it's, it's going to be about a flower again. Um, I had this, uh, just finished this series of five works that was like five unique flowers. I'm now going to make something of three flowers uh, or three pieces centered around one flower. Um, it's also a work that takes a lot of uh, inspiration from Chris Cooksey. He is this kind of um, uh, artist that makes um, sculptures which are incredibly intricate in details and what's going on and all this stuff. And I kind of want to bring that into 3D art and see if I can pull that off in a way. So kind of like combining flowers with that direction and seeing where it's going. Um, it's a bit of a hard work to, to describe. There are some sneak peeks on my Twitter accounts where I sometimes show test renders. Um, and I have no idea yet what the story is going to be behind it, but yeah. All right. And 
what area beside the area you're working on right now, which is, of course, art and, you know, all this stuff, would you be interested to explore and learn in the future, given if you had, you know, enough free time and, you know, energy and resources and all of that? And, I mean, it doesn't, the question isn't, by the way, limited to just learning a new skill. It could be doing anything. It could be completely non-arts related, by the way. Oh, that's, I would love to start bouldering and climbing rocks and stuff like that. That's uh, That's something. I've always been... This kind of like attic nerd that is working on his attic room and, and uh, whether it's programming, whether it's doing art, I'm, I'm very focused on sitting behind the desk and doing things. Uh, and I'm 38 now. I'm, I'm noticing that my body isn't has grown in certain ways that is not really beneficial from that lifestyle. And one of the things I want to start picking up is, um, is taking care of myself in a physical way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and bouldering is one of the things I want to do as soon as the corona lockdowns are a bit more normal and yeah. I can actually go there. I mean, that, that sounds awesome. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean but just uh, just a piece of advice, like, you know, bouldering is a super good way, you know, to as a fun way to actually engage your whole body and, you know, get strong grips and everything, you know, useful actually physical skills. But... Um, I think for for a start and as a foundation, you should you should start running or bicycling a cardio basically version because, um, y- yes, I mean at first when you start bouldering, you're gonna have problems with cardio, with your you know muscles, yeah. with breathing. So if you for example take care of you know the cardio and you know the mus- the body endurance in general and the heart endurance, heart muscle endurance in general, you just take care of it with either bicycling or swimming or running, and then you add bouldering or other sports to it, you know. That's a, that's the best way to approach it. Yeah, yeah, it's what I've been picking up during the lockdown as well. Um, more uh, more running, more uh, working out at home, and then trying to get a, re- a resume in there, and to build it up a little bit. And it, it it's it's weird that like my that's, that's a, this is one of the things that I've noticed about myself as well. Like ten years younger, I had like all these big fantastic things I want to achieve, and uh, I want to learn about, and I want to grow about. And at the moment, I'm much more in just figuring out what the small things are that make me happy in life instead of gigantic goals that I still want to achieve or gigantic new skills that I want to develop. Yeah, I mean, that's something that, you know, you get that type of perspective only comes with age and yeah, it's a whole thing on itself. And well, with everything that's been said and done to conclude all the discuss give us a roadmap for someone who is zero in visual arts and wants to get to the place you are in terms of skill set like um for someone who is here and is zero in visual arts and experience but there's an interest and yeah. they want to get here where you are now from here to here what major steps do you recommend them or should they take in your opinion to get there um i, I think the first big advice would be is the thing that you want right now is not the thing that you want in five years um uh, and this is uh and this a lot of this comes of course from my student from my teaching job where I, I basically have like 60 students a year where we have to go through exactly this question like i'm here i got accepted into the school now what's going to happen with my career um and I, th- I think that one of the core things that we always see with students in the school is that they start out as, I want to be a 2D character concept artist. That's like one of the major things that everyone wants to be because that's like the big fantasy, to be the guy that gets into the top row on an art station and to have that kind of character there um, that feels right. And everyone that starts has like these kind of big goals. They want to be the best in this. And then they start studying and 
um, I, I think the be our better students are the ones that kind of discover they're, while they're studying that, um, that there are certain things that really connect from, for them and certain things that do not connect from them. And I think the, the students that pick the thing that really works well for them and are willing to um, to change their paths based on what works are the ones that are being successful in uh, in their career and throughout the school and in their life afterwards. The students that are kind of like stubbornly sticking to the one subject um, tend to also be the students that in generally don't really succeed that well in it. Um, and I think it has to do with your brain works in a certain way with certain topics that you're really good at and being able to focus to say like this is how it's working for me and having that reflection that's like a m major driver in your development as an artist um and of course the, the the key to getting there is always practice that's uh that's just such a major thing it's, it's especially when you're younger especially when you're starting out you need to be drawing every day or you need to be making something every day even if you're just just to get into the mindset that every day you create something because the job that you're going to get or the job that you want is going to expect you to do that eight or nine hours a day constantly um, and I, I think that's the hardest part is getting into that habit of creating something um, I think another tip is to not be, um, to not worry about your mistakes, or to worry about the quality in your art. Um, get make things, even if they're terrible. Just make things, and keep being aware that when you're starting out, like one in the in a thousand drawings will be good, and two or three years later, it will be like a hundred drawings in the thousand. And a few years later, it will be 500. And then it will be 999 at some point. But it's the, to, to be relative, like, where am I? I'm going to feel a lot. Let's embrace it and, and, and focus on learning from what you're doing instead of, uh, uh, instead of trying to ignore your failures or not showing it to people. All right, and well, we've reached the final question of the podcast, which is a new segment. It's kind of, it's technically, yes, technically it's a question, but it's kind of like a segment, which is the last thing of the podcast, which is called Final Words, which is something I recently added to the podcast, which I wished I did earlier because it's actually something really interesting. And or, all right, here's the thing. Now we've reached, you know, minutes... As I'm speaking right now, minute 38 and 25 seconds of the podcast in this whole recording. And for anyone, and I'll probably edit and upload the podcast in like a week. So for anyone who might watch or listen to the podcast and came and are here now at this moment and are listening to me and will listen to you in a minute. If you could leave those people in that are listening in the future, whether a week, whether two weeks, whether a year, whether 10 years any point of time in the future. And now you have this window of opportunity to leave them a me message as a human to human. What would that be? Um, I think it's probably has to be love what you're doing. Like not just like it, but really love it. Um, I, I think the core is, is the art that you're doing or the skills that you're developing, they're with you for your life. They're, they're going to be your best friends. They're going to be the things that you rely on to get through, through tough times. They're going to be the things 
that are with you through the good times and that help you celebrate your experiences. Um, you need you need to have the love for what you're doing to be able to. Um, yeah, how do I put this? Um, you need that love to really appreciate what you're doing in a way um because i think if you're if you're just in it because you like to be an artist or because you like doing it it's not going to give that payback that some of, of the other artists have. it's not going to be that that source of energy and that source of power and uh, and development that other artists are having but the moment that you start laughing at for everything that it is for the worst and for the good things that's the moment that your art is going to develop all right that's actually a beautiful note to end this episode on and well thank you so much for coming by and where can people contact you if they had a question is there an instagram i caption okay i put it put it in the captions uh yeah yeah it's uh, i can be reached on uh, on instagram of course uh stefan uh d-u-q um on twitter with the same account i'm sometimes streaming on twitch with the same account awesome um, so yeah, I'm pretty much reachable through all social media. All I right. also tend to answer everyone because it's still manageable to do that. So mm-hmm. awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time and and joining us on this episode. And thank you to anyone who tuned in tuned in and listened to this episode. I hope you are having a good day. Well, it's the end of this episode. Thank you everyone for watching. Thank you, sir, again for coming by. And take care, everyone. See you next episode. Bye. Goodbye.